Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. You've reached Venus Unplugged. This is your host, Lorraine Neidhart, psychic and cultural visionary, and uh, speaking extemporaneously about the archetypal world of Venus and her initiate psyche and her son, Eros. And uh, what we do here is uh, discover, unfold, evoke, provoke. Um, and hopefully with each broadcast, uh, there's a little something that you hold on to or think about or have a reaction to, whatever it might be. So what we've been looking at here is Ion, which is uh, one of Jung's greatest bodies of work. One of the things that I wanted to talk about before I jump into the world of Christ consciousness um, is the word finesse. I've been thinking about that word a lot. And I'm a logophile, a lover of words, and uh, they really catch me and haunt me. So finesse, it's the white space on the page. It's the jewelry you took off. It's the exquisite sense that what you could have been, could have been done wasn't done or said. Or so what is left is a certain excitement because you're close to something true and pure. So I think with so much of what's going on in our talk about unplugged world, uh, developing a little finesse. It's not always important to say something. Sometimes it's more important what you don't say, especially when you're not going to get anywhere. Because we are all participating in the dissolving of the prevailing American myth. So, um, just as a little reminder... Uh, about the the anima and the animus, as Jung says, quite literally, the father and mother of all the the dramatic and even disastrous entanglements of fate and has been recognized as such as the divine pair, the one in accordance with his logos nature, characteristic by spirit, or Mercury, good old Mercurius, the unconscious uh, trickster. He's he's not unconscious. We are unconscious to it. That's uh, a trickster. And in the other accordance, with her eros nature, characterized as Aphrodite, Selene, Persephone, and Hecate, the ancients realized their true natures quite rightly called them gods. And the more we realize this, the better that it's going to be for us because their power increases to the degree that we remain unconscious. So this is one big giant step for uh, certainly, I would say, the world to, uh, to move from an unconscious state to uh, a more conscious one. Now, the shadow must be realized because before we could see the animus and the anima, uh, 
and the shadow needs the relationship to a partner before we can realize it. So the anima and the animus require a relationship to someone of the opposite sex because only in such a relationship do we see or suffer from their effects. Now, the partner can be a friend or a fellow or a lover or an enemy. It doesn't, it's a relationship. It can be the stranger who is other. And uh, that just doesn't mean gender, okay? It's just someone other, okay? So that's one of the ways. So uh, if a friend says something, Nah, you know, you don't always get so upset. But if the lover says something uh, or picks up an, a shadow or reacts to a shadow aspect, there's all hell breaks loose. So what is the myth of America that's being destroyed and revisioned as we speak? Now, if we look at it from a Jungian perspective, right, America is a thinking, extroverted country. The opposite of thinking is feeling. Bam. Which is what all this scandal is about. Learning how it feels. There's an old uh, saying, you can't heal what you can't feel. So, here we are in Feelingville, in a town called Moan or country called Moan. And for the most part, we are denied uh, our feelings, and they're difficult for a thinking type to comprehend a feeling person. But that's all coming down around their hats. Now remember, psyche is not metaphysical. Psyche is soul. It's psyche, it's the unconscious. And just as a little reminder here, because I, you know, I go over a lot of stuff, uh, about the uh, the types, because so much of Jung's work is really about the tension of the opposites, and sometimes it can, you know, it's a living philosophy. So it it moves and it changes and it shifts and it becomes its opposite. So there's no kind of linear thing going on. Um, so I'll just give you a little reminder here, you know, about um, that. Uh, was one of the ways that he codified these four four types and that the, some individuals, um, the way how they, they experience the world. And uh, some are energized by the internal world, that be introverts, and others by the external world. So these introverts and extroverts, respectively, are just have, you know, where you go to place. But in addition, in addition to the, the attitudes of the world, there's also certain properties or functions of consciousness. And Jung identified them as thinking. You know, just because you think something, you don't feel it. Thinking is not psyche. Without feeling, which is what we're finding out. So thinking, by which he meant knowing what a thing is, naming it, and linking it to other things. Feeling, which for young means something other than effect or emotion. It's a consideration of the value of something or having a viewpoint or a perspective of something. So we value the feminine 
where we value ourselves. Um, that goes on a feeling value. And this is what people are waking up to. They're valuing themselves. They're saying uh, they're having to feel, you know, to think, you know, somebody says something and it's like, wait, you ain't feeling it, so it's not happening to you. Reality is when it happens to you. And uh, so this is a, a big and extraordinary work of the divine. Because uh, the divine's in this mix, too. So that's the... And now, just so I can finish it. Sensation, that's about the facts, okay, are available to the senses and telling us what that something is. Uh but not, uh, well, now intuition, that's where I come in. Uh, Jung uses that to mean a sense of where something is going and what the possibilities are without conscious proof or knowledge. So uh, that's kind of the quantum leap of being psychic. So just to remind you of that. Now, moving right along here. And then uh, the last session we discussed the self. Now that's with the capital S. So that's an archetypal image of man's fullest or humanities. We've got to get that humanity and stuff. Okay. Um, an archetypal image of uh, humanity's fullest potential and the unity uh, of the personality as a whole. The self is a unifying principle. Come on down. Let's all be in the circle. Let's be the dot in the center of the circle. Okay? So the self is a unifying principle within the human psyche and occupies the central position of authority in relation to the psychological life and therefore the destiny of the individual. So these are components that uh, are constantly at work in our lives, forming and fulfilling our destiny with or without our permission. And uh, consciousness is becoming aware of this, I guess in one way you could see it as a kingdom within and without, because there's no within within. Okay. Now, Christ as a symbol of the self. Now, I'm going to read this. Uh, and the reason I'm going to read this is uh, I'll, I'll probably have more time to talk about it. Um, uh, Halloween Eve, of course. But, uh, okay, okay, here we go. Christ, a symbol of the self. Now, the Luciferian days in which uh, we live have often come... Uh, wait. Okay, I'm starting here again. The Luciferian days in which we live have often, from many sides, been compared to the kind of the doctrines of death and the afterlife uh, events foretold in the New Testament. And the coming of Christ's opposites, the Antichrist, which his uh, usurpation of the power is clearly foretold in the Apocalypse, showing that the anima, Christiania, in those very early days, knew quite well about the ebb and flow uh, 
and it was certain that it was inevitable. Wherever you have good, the evil moves in. It was at this constant ebb and flow, okay? So Christ is the still-living cultural myth of our age. So we're not necessarily talking about a historical figure. We're talking about a cultural myth, kind of like King Arthur, but much older. Okay. Uh, so he is the hero in our culture, is in our blood, and however we, however we were brought up. He's the center of the mandala, and whether we know it or not, he is in us and we are in him. His kingdom of heaven is our symbol of the treasure, hard to attain, and the pearl of great price. That's the self, with a capital S. In our age, Christ still represents the archetype of the self. He represents the divine totality, unspoiled by sin. Um, that's because he didn't come through a male, the myth goes, a male and a female. He, he came through an immaculate conception. Now, what's that gig about? Okay, what that's about is if it's coming through a male and female, if you believe the apple story of Adam and Eve, the first generation would be born of incest since there was nobody else but Adam and Eve and their children were the first generation. That would mean that the blood of incest is in all of us. Okay, And in the Christos uh, mythos, they eliminated that and just had this immaculate conception, which actually came from the Egyptians of uh, uh, Isis and Osiris and that whole story. So there we have that. So um, the mythical Christ uh, was unspoiled by sin, and we find descriptions of Christ's exactly uh, this in the writings of uh, most of the old fathers of the church, whom Jung quoted at considerable length, like St. Augustine and all those dudes. Uh, and there can be no doubt that the original Christian concept of the uh, of Christ, the divinity in Christ, meant all-embracing totality. That even includes the animal side of man. But nevertheless, this Christ symbol lacks wholeness in the modern psychological sense, for it does not include the dark side, but splits this off as Lucifer, Christ's opponent from the beginning. You picking up what I'm putting down? Okay, we're going to continue. So this was fully realized, um, but was uh, watered down by the um, the early church. They didn't want to kind of express that. So, talk about where were the tapes? Okay. So evil was deprived of its substance by the idea that it was a mere accidental absence of good, and the stage was set for the disastrous idea that all good belongs to God and all evil to man. All right, so you've got to stop thinking about this. I will repeat this next week, too. So it must be emphasized that it was the church fathers 
who tried to kind of rig the, the deal. All right. And and tried to guarantee a light wholeness to Christ by the doc by uh, this doctrine of just one sidedness. The Gnostics, and those are the real dudes. The Gnostic means knowing, and in the Gnostic teaching, basically you're becoming your own religion because you become start to become one who knows. You're not listening to someone else. You know, because you know through your experience, or you know through your meditations, or you know through your visitations, or you you know, okay? And that's Gnostic, G-N-O-S-T-I-C-S. And Sophia is one of the major archetypal figures in the Gnostic teachings. So the Gnostics tackled the problem of evil on a much broader basis than the Orthodox Church they were much nearer to the psychological truth that good and evil are two equal opposites, such as light and darkness and heat and cold. Gnostics' teachings uh, that Christ cut... Uh, the Gnostic teaching that Christ cut off his shadow from himself, an idea that leads directly to the Antichrist, and we, and we are all suffering at his hands today. So, if Christ cut off the sh- shadow self, or was it? It wasn't a lie. I don't know that Christ the, himself shut it off, but uh, certainly the myth—that aspect—it's like leaving out a really big part of the myth. So we're kind of living out this half a myth, or the uh, the toned-down version, or the one-eyed, half-person version. So that's how the Gnostics' teachings uh, understand this. Okay, And the Antichrist developed in legend as a, perverse, uh, as a kind of imitator, or this kind of perverse imitator of Christ, as a, as a spirit of evil that follows Christ's footsteps, as the shadow follows the body. But it's Christ's shadow and the shadow of evil would be Christ. So nobody gets away with the other side, all right? And this, what I'm trying to help understand or accept or work with or even consider is the the dynamics of paradox. It's very important to be able to hold paradox. Both can be true. That is so much part of what's happening in our world today. The intolerance. It's either good or bad, up or down, right or wrong, uh, and it's making a mess. And it's also time for an evolutionary shift. And this is part of the new story or the, the the evolution of a myth, the becoming now myths are real. Now they're they're the stories of the gods, they're the stories of what's going on in the unconscious. And um they're operating in our lives whether we believe it or not. 
And so it's being able to understand that this is um, the way that evolution changes, the story changes. And that we, excuse me, I need to have a little drink of mint tea. And as we begin to grow up and mature, which is our truest task, uh, make the changes that we need to change within ourselves, that begins to change the outer world. So we don't have to go twisting anybody else's omsy-womsy because they're not going to do it anyway. But if we begin to recognize, like, whoa, what's happening in America, what's happening throughout the world, the feeling is awakening and developing. If you really felt that, you know, should have been a psychopath, um, couldn't do it. And you couldn't turn a blind eye to it either because the shame would be too great. You know, I mean, that's part of what witnessing is, and that's a lot of what's happening now, is we're witnessing the shadow and... Thank goodness it's we're finding a way to hold it and contain it. Now, of course, you're going to lose your cookie. How could you not? But that's not the way it's going to stay because it's a creative shift is becoming. Now, with any birth, it, it starts with a scream. Now, of course, it's it's but it's 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 beginning to move the the wisdom of the feminine in men and in women. So nobody's got the the handle, you know. Uh, no, it's not gender based. It's humanity based, and we're beginning to realize, like, whoa. You know, it's it's one thing if someone tells you a story. It's another thing if they name it directly for what it is. And it's even more if it happens to you or you're empathetic and feel it in the feeling sensation, which the intellect cannot do. It cannot feel, which is part of the wabi-sabi of of America. It's an intellectual uh, country. We've got all our well, bells and whistles and computers and, you know, and, and thank goodness for that. But on a feeling function, we're a day late and a dollar short, that's for sure. But it's the feminine is waking in men and in women. And within the psyche, uh, and because uh, you don't want to see a pissed off Venus. That that it's very very. I mean, she can think of some serious revenges. So um, we want to, and that's a you know certainly anybody who's listened to me more than two minutes knows you know that's my uh, take on so much of this is the the fear, the absolute fear uh, of beauty and Venus, and they stick her to the corner or make her pick porn because she's so. Powerful, but it's all changing. 
for the greater balance. Now, let's say the greater good. Let's have the good and the not so good, you know, or the good or the evil, whatever we want to call it, the opposites, that we can hold them and learn how to discern and make policy and wisdom and live our lives in a in a way that uh, both those factors are part of who we are and what we live. So if we see Christ, uh, the, the mythical Christ, then as a psychic manifestation of the self, the Antichrist would correspond to the shadow of the self. I know. You're still listening? Okay. You haven't faded yet? Okay, good. So in the empirical sense of psychology, light and shadow form a paradoxical unity. A paradoxical unity. But in the Orthodox Christian concept, the archetype is split in two, uh, and it's these halves can never be whole. They just don't want to happen. And so that's leading to, uh, ultimately, uh, to just the duality which the church fathers were they were trying to avoid, but it didn't work. For the doctrine, uh, basically, they split the wholeness in the myth of the Christ figure. So he becomes Lucifer, or the dark Christ. And we can have opinions about that, but until you really go into kind of the Gnostic study, it's not the red-tailed devil. It's far wiser, and in some ways dangerous. So the dramatic figure of Christ is uh, so sublime and spotless that everything invariably uh, turns dark beside it. In fact that which was realized fully by the writer of the Apocalypse. The coming of the Antichrist is not just a prophetic p- prediction. It is based on the uh, psychological law that anything too light will be followed by its opposite to the dark. It just swings back and forth. All right. So these are... Now, don't get stuck on any of these. Let those energies of the paradox kind of well you you're familiar with the in a sense the paradox is, is the sign of the yin and the yang where the black there's a little bit of white and where the white there's a little bit of black and uh, that's how that works so when we go into one-sidedness which I call cyclops thinking and perception there's one eyeball in the middle of your forehead and you can't see anything so the psychological law it was overlooked and forgotten so this is part of what we're suffering now and the weakness in the Christian disposition is that everything again uh, and ever again strives for the spiritual heights without remembering or realizing that such a one-sided endeavor is always doomed to clash with man's earthbound passion 
to conquer matter and master the earth. Yet, it could have been remembered for Christ clashed with Satan right at the beginning of his career. And we hear of a reign of a thousand years and that the coming of the Antichrist. And uh, if two royal brothers had divided the worlds between them, Christ taking the kingdom of the spirit and the Antichrist kingdom of the world. Well, then we have the Aquarian Age, which is what was predicted. This this age where the self and this figure of the self, which contains shadow and light, not just the good, that's or or just evil. Now, with everything that's going on, it's hard, very, very difficult to not get into absolutes. But that's part of what the spirit cost is about: is to help start to understand. You know, we're creating this. We're creating the change. This is all part of the depths of the unconscious, and as we become conscious of how this moves and works, uh, as each person takes up the task of their own shadow aspect, that is the most important work that there is, and the most effective. So we will continue with this, because this is going to be a couple of weeks' work here, and uh Becoming, and there's a lot of really good, 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 good kind of uh, historical and mystical facts and Kabbalistic facts. And there's even a quote here where, according to some philosopher, which I can't find it right now, or astrologer, uh, Christ would have been a Gemini, <laughs> which I think is hilarious and kind of perfect because it is the sign of yin and yang. So, my loves, my darlings, go forth and uh, make a joyful noise because we need laughter. That's one of the greatest. You know, laughter goes out to eternity. The sound of laughter. Just think about that one for a while. So, and we will continue. <laughs> 